as well as being um, regaled about uh, the homeless and Christian aid for the world, and I can't remember what else we heard about in the introductions this morning, it's also in the Methodist Church Racial Justice Sunday, which is not far removed from the things we've heard about already. And indeed, Poverty Sunday, whatever we might feel that is about and relates to how it impacts us. As well, of course, as we've already heard, Do You Know Him? And for St. Andrew's itself, What's Next? The Away Day at Beamsley this coming Saturday. And if you want to come to that Away Day, which is to seek uh, God's guidance about our future, uh, and you haven't got booked up yet, you need to do so. Today must be the last day. See one of the steward elders or me at the end of the service. But it's the do you know him that I want to focus on now for a few minutes. The theme, Restorer. Did you keep that in mind as you were listening to the Bible passages? Restorer. In Israel, when Jesus was born and grew up and began his ministry, there had been no prophecy, no healing, no miracles for 150 years or more in Israel's history. That's why there's a historical gap in the books of the Bible between the Old and the New Testament. There are other books that others want to include, but for our Bible, there is a gap. And it was as though God was no longer doing anything. Indeed, God's people suffered greatly and came under subjection of first the Greeks and then the Romans. The great stories of Abraham, Moses and the like had lost, it would seem, their ability to evoke an encounter with their God. Most in leadership had become so influenced by the world or see so legalistic they had lost touch with the reality of a God who loves people and promises them everything they need but which his people had repeatedly rejected. Moses and Elijah appear in this event on the mountaintop. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, present when the Father commends Jesus of Nazareth as his son, I am pleased with him. Terrifying for Peter and no doubt the others too. 
for these kinds of things were of history, not of present experience. And Jesus' appearance is transformed. He is transfigured. He is aglow. He is presented as the light of the world. And this was not a vision. This was a real experience for four very different people. There was conversation. It was in real time. It happened. It was not just a thing of the mind. Do you know him? This Jesus transfigured and glorified. Yet loving and humble. For whom this experience gave him the power and the strength. And the faith to go to Jerusalem and face the cross and the rejection and carrying the burden of the world's evil and sin. It was an encouragement to him. It became an encouragement to the disciples later when they looked back and saw it in the context of what was to follow. Do not tell anyone until I have risen from the dead. They didn't know what that meant. They didn't know what he was talking about. Here he was, alive and kicking in front of them. They'd just had this wonderful experience, and he's talking about rising from the dead. They didn't understand. They were puzzled. Do not tell anyone as they came down. Now, can you yourself imagine being at that mountain top, involved in that experience, and not being able to tell anybody when you came down? How many of you would have had to say something to somebody? And he said, don't tell anyone, because he was humble. Because he knew that the Father in heaven had a plan. And the plan involved not revealing everything to the, to the people and to the world all at once. They wouldn't be able to cope with it. And in this event, God our Father, the living God is a restorer of awe and amazement at God's majesty, of his authority, of his godliness. That's the first restoration that we get from this reading. The second, not from that passage but from the second mark passage he is the restorer of my soul 
<laughs> as soon as that phrase came into my mind, restore of my soul, I thought immediately of what does it make you think of? Psalm 23. He restores my soul. Did that come to your mind? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall want for nothing. He restores my soul. Like a shepherd in the Middle East leading sheep to pasture and water. But there's something wrong here. Unlike in this country and others with our kind of climate, where sheep don't need to drink because they get enough moisture from the grass they eat. So the water was not for the sheep's refreshing, it was for their cleansing, for their enjoyment, for the peacefulness. In the scrub regions of Israel, grass is tough with little moisture content, so water is needed and is crucial. Different situations, different needs, different provisions. Forgive me if some of you have heard me talk about this before. I'll explain why I'm talking about it again in a moment. I was at Waverley Abbey House in Surrey, learning about counselling, Christian counselling, applying the gospel message to people who had inner turmoil and need. A lecture based on psychological insights, but only those which are consistent with biblical truth, which is not all psychological insights. And hearing how in this lecture, how past events can blight a person's life. And as the lecturer was talking an image flashed into my mind, an experience in childhood that had left me afraid. It was traumatizing. And I'd not recalled this memory. It had been locked away in that inner child that is one of the valuable insights of psychology. We all have this inner child. <laughs> we were talking with some members of a our family uh, a day or two ago, uh, uh, how when a family comes together of all ages, people revert to the roles they would have had when the family was together in one house and maybe growing up together. Uh, people may have moved on since then and changed, but they become the child again to some extent unless perhaps they're very strong. But I hadn't recalled this. And it had engendered fear. Now, when I was growing up, I was very shy, very 
withdrawn, lacking in confidence, afraid of people, afraid of the world. In fact, scared stiff of God and the devil and hell. Everything, really. Which makes it all the more amazing that when I went for an interview for my first job, I learnt later that the bank manager had said he was impressed by my self-confidence. I can assure you it wasn't my confidence. But as this memory came into conscious recall, a wave of energy from the soles of my feet moved up through my body and out through the top of my head and pressed my brain and I could feel it, it to the inside of my skull. It was in an instant. But in the next instant, I knew that something powerful had left me. A spirit of fear that had gripped me from that experience as a child. That was keeping me bound and limited in what I could be and do. I can still be afraid of things, but it doesn't grip me. It isn't deep. It isn't there all the time. I will not grow tired of sharing this story. It is so important in my ability to serve God. Until that time, I thought it was just the way I was, as other people are different and have perhaps other difficulties and struggles. I learned later after this lecture, when I shared it with a member of staff, that a team of people were praying for all the students because they knew that when this lecture was given, this kind of thing could happen. And they wanted people to be freed from whatever may be imprisoning them. And Jesus says to the disciples when he's got down from this wonderful, encouraging, amazing and awesome experience. He says to them after the events with the boy. This kind can only be dealt with by prayer. And I don't believe he was talking about a prayer such as we generally pray. He was talking about prayer in tongues. Because since then, having had that experience myself, 
I know what God can do. I know what prayer has the power to do. And it's more than our normal church life these days. But that's not always been the case. The church through the ages has had people in many congregations and perhaps all congregations to some extent who know the power of God and as Louise was saying that God has given us the tools to serve him in the world and to meet the needs not only the physical needs but the deep psychological and spiritual needs that are in the world and so desperately need the church to be able to use. The restorer of my soul. And thirdly, I want to say to you, and I may already have hinted at it, I may even uh, not only hinted at it, but said it out loud and um, up front, if you like, the church community needs to restore the God whom the secular world dismisses and which the, the church has followed on and has explained away in its theology. In other words, we need to restore an encounter with God through Jesus Christ so that our worship is always an encounter which we experience. It's not just something we do. I was reading a Bible Society newsletter and, and a young girl called Malawi. No. That's not her name. Her name is Tadala, but she lives in Malawi, <laughs> a country that is awfully poor. 46% of the population is under 15 due to HIV and AIDS. Many of the children are orphans. So the church runs Sunday schools. They do in other places, of course. But at the Sunday school, Tadal has been given her own Bible through the work of the Bible Society in her own language, which she doesn't take home with her. She keeps it at the church where it's safe. And she knows it won't get damaged or lost or stolen. Now, she said, I really understand what it is to know Jesus. Without the Bible, I couldn't know God. This year, it's 50 years since Martin Luther King was assassinated. He had a dream, didn't he? He had a vision. 
This was a real vision. This was a vision, of, a picture in his mind of a world of brotherhood and sisterhood. A world in which, for instance, the suffragette movement wouldn't be needed and all the sexual harassment and being treated like a second-class citizen would have no place and would never be heard of or experienced. Not because it was against the law, but because every person's heart would be transformed by the love and the light of Jesus. And evil thoughts would no longer be entertained when they were presented to people. It's a dream, isn't it? But it's a dream that motivates people. It's a dream that we work towards in whatever small way we feel we can. But he was motivated by a vision of God, of his love and of his majesty. And so the church community needs to restore this God, this God in his glory, this God in his power, this God in his sovereignty, this God in his transcendent reality. A God who can and loves to restore people at the deepest level. Do you know him? This Jesus who can be encountered in a community that believes he is to be encountered and needs to be encountered and known. Who gives vision to those who are willing and open to receive it and then be obedient to it. It's not an either or situation this it's not a choice between loving in practical ways against racial injustice or poverty not a choice between that and living in the power and authority of a transcendent life it's both both in the same community of faith supporting and encouraging one another but all out of a transformative experience of knowing him what's next when you begin to think along these lines what's next can become very exciting and maybe very scary but God has called us to be his people, to be his church. He's given us a task. We want to know how best to do that in our own day, in our own place, with the people he's put us with or the people he may send to join in the future.
the restorer. God is in the business of restoring his own glory, of restoring souls, and he wants us to be in the business of restoring him to his rightful place. 